Hi everyone, welcome to the show. Um, I have a special guest coming back to the show. Who's been away for a while, but it's because we're all busy, and also I took a year off. Um, Rosanne A. Brown was born in uh, Kumasi, uh, Ghana, and immigrated to the wild jungles of Central Maryland as a child. She graduated from the University of Maryland with a bachelor's in journalism, was also a teaching assistant for the school Yemenez Porter Writers House program. Her debut novel, A Song of Race and Ruin, was an instant New York Times bestseller. An indie bestseller received six starred reviews, just couldn't manage seven. Um, its follow-up, A Psalm of Storms and Silence, received just as much praise, if not a little more. It completed what I would consider to be one of the best duologies in recent memory. Her most recent release, Rick Rowden presents uh, Soro Podang's Guide to Vampire Hunting, which came out last September, which, God, that fucking feels like 10 years ago, doesn't it? Um, again, receiving starred reviews and high praise all around, with Kirk is saying this textured, richly mythological story will keep the pages turning as readers are drawn into Sirwa's world. I said, I didn't know ghosts could be vegan. Please welcome back to the show, Roseanne A. Brown. Hi, Roseanne. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. And how are you today? You're, I know you were saying you're kind of a little, uh, you're running around this morning. What, um, what is... Get, what's your morning routine like let's say on a day off not that writers have days off i guess but um like what's a day what's a what's a morning a quiet, let's just say a, instead of a day off let's say what's a quiet morning look like for you i guess a quiet morning well first thing is i have this three-year-old havanese mix um and she rules my entire life and so if she does not go out like early enough then yeah. it will just be poop bombs all day so even on the days off i I am up to go jog her around till she's like, okay, human, I am satisfied. We can go home. Yeah. So that's usually the first thing. After she's been satisfied, I guess it depends because hmm, I'm probably making breakfast. Yeah. Uh, this, wow, this sounds so boring. But no, no, I'm making breakfast and I'll run through mine too. Mine's so far identical. Yeah. And I run through breakfast and then See, the thing is, the responsible thing to do is, like, answer emails, but then sometimes I'll look at my inbox and be like, ooh, that means, let me just, and so usually um, I'll curl up in an armchair, and I usually just kind of, like, read for the rest of the I know if there's nothing super urgent, I'm like, eh, they can wait till one, two, and then I'll just, like, sit and I'll read um, for a little while, just because I'm like, I just need my to do things. Right. Yeah, no, my morning's the same. So I get up, tend to the dogs. I don't have any human kids, just two fur kids. So, mm -hmm. and yeah, very much the same. Like, I'm just standing there like an idiot, you know, waiting for them to decide, you know, when it's time. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then, but for sure, coffee's next. Coffee, yeah, check the news real quick, breakfast. Um, yeah, no, that's... But I kind of like it. I don't know. As I get older, too, I'm up earlier and in bed later. And I like the quiet of the morning. It's calm before just the shit, whatever shit the world has to throw our way. Right. So it's like mm -hmm. it's it's I don't do yoga or anything like that. So that's sort of like just a quiet time to just sort of be chill. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's no, I'm yeah, my morning's pretty much identical. But um, no, I hear you because like I feel like one of the worst things about growing up has been I'm like. If I'm not naturally a morning person, I actually, given the chance, I would love to sleep in. But I found the earlier I wake up, the better I feel the rest of the day. But of course, that means waking up 6 a.m., 5.30, and I'm like, wow, 
this is a, it's like when I was young and discovered like, wow, exercising actually does make you feel good. This is a scam. Like, it's just right. like, as you, mm -hmm. like the sun gazing thing too, right? Where they say you're supposed mm -hmm. to wake up and immediately go outside and just like stare at the sky and basically like solar energize your eyeballs and that's supposed to make you feel better and help you sleep better and all this stuff. But I don't, I can't do that because my dogs wake me up before the sun comes up. Like that's <laughs> like, I don't have a choice what time I get up anymore because my dogs wake me up and they even like, no. So, and they're like <laughs> my male dog. He, mm -hmm. uh, it's basically like quarter to six every morning, like on the dot. And he mm -hmm. even responds to daylight savings and stuff. Ooh. Yeah, it's freaky. I know. <laughs> um. Anyways, so all right, so that's cool. Dog breakfast, do some reading, and then the other days are just I'm sure emails and booking tours and all these other types of things. I'm sure, but uh, and of course, yeah. of course, drafting, writing, editing, all that fun stuff too. Uh, uh, yeah, writing. <laughs> yeah, you're like twirling your mustache. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I do that. That's what they say. <laughs> um, speaking of tours, actually, I was gonna. We're entering sort of convention season, and you know, you've done your share of book tours, and uh, I won't mention the person's name, but and this has happened before. I, you know, you've seen authors go to events and no one shows up, um, mm -hmm. and I and you go to you know we all go to enough conventions where you go down like celebrity row or whatever everyone calls it something different and mm -hmm. you'll see that one poor soul who's got no one in line mm -hmm. <laughs> and and of course they always put them next to maybe the most popular person at the convention mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like and I have I feel so fucking bad for I have like I've even went to the convention staff in, in past years and say listen like I'm not going to pay for an autograph or anything but can I can, let me just stand there and talk to this person. Mm -hmm. like almost mm -hmm. like i'm a child of the 80s and 90s like i could talk to any of these people for hours right yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah. like I, I know yeah mm -hmm. right? no yeah i know you're exactly talking about that experience like <clears throat> something like that similar happened to me um last year so in 2022 when i was at aba um for the offer reception i was next to like charlie jane anders who was she is so sweet, so amazing, so incredible, amazing writer. And she has a very devoted fan base, right? right. Yeah. And so definitely that experience, like, not like no one came up to see me. A solid amount of people did. I'm very grateful to them. But just like her, she had the longest line of the entire reception, like out the door. <laughs> and like, yeah. on the other side of the table, like what's going through your mind in that moment is like, oh, wow, let me know. Oh, I hope my elbow's not in Charlie Jane Andrews' pictures. Oh, no, let me, let me move it out of the way. <laughs> like, it's just like so big. Like, how do I get out of their way while they're like, having this big important moment with their fans uh i don't know i can't be for authors i've never felt too much like oh this is so embarrassing i'm just like man i'm happy to be here yeah i was gonna ask you how like if you've ever encountered like a zero turnout and how you handle it and um or even yeah. like or even just like like a really low turnout and it's it's i mean conventions are different mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that like um there's just a lot of foot traffic. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I've gone to conventions where like, oh, I didn't know this person was here or, you know, I didn't know this person, what, for, you know what I mean? So you end up sort of getting some, uh, you know, like rubberneckers and and surprise people probably come up to you. But a but a tour, a book tour is different, right? Because it's 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 just you, it's, it's mm -hmm. marketed towards just you being there in, in whichever library or bookstore in whichever town. Um, 
So for well, on it too much. So, but like that's that's got to hurt a little bit more when no one shows up, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm very lucky that like none of my tour stops have been zero shows, and part of like how authors we kind of like plan for this is like that's why we do in conversation partners you know like yeah, two people right. and people right. are more likely to show for two people than right. um, not but i have had a single no-show event so far in my career knock on wood uh this was maybe last spring or so um it was a library in maryland um and yeah it was a library uh, it was about like an hour and a half drive made longer because it was raining there was bad traffic i felt mm. real bad so I was even a little late and then i get there and like no one's there which i blame it was just it was raining really really hard yeah. and yeah. it was after school and i think the kids just like they just did not want to come out in the rain which i don't blame them um but the staff was really nice so what we kind of just end up doing was basically like me just kind of having like an hour chat with the library staff and just like answering their questions and just talking about stuff um are, but yeah i think we're readers and fans also right i mean maybe not necessarily of yours but are just fans of authors and readers so i mean a library and a bookstore staff are great people to talk to anyways right exactly yeah and they see this happen all the time because like it's just so much more common than like we think and like every time like something goes kind of viral or like of authors talk about no show events like you see neil gaiman stepping in or jody picole just be like yeah I had no one show up. Of course, yeah. the caveat is like their no shows aren't usually that recent. Like they're talking like early on in their careers. Right, right. Like in 2023, Stephen King's not going to have a no show event, you know? But it's just kind of like that. Like it, it happened to everyone at some point, you know? And that, that helps to remember like no matter how big an author ends up becoming or how established, at some point they had a no show happen as well. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I wanted to frame it as any, you know, young or, you know, uh, blooming authors out there to understand that it does happen and it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, it's not, it's not even reflective of, you know, of anything really, because there's just so many factors that go into why people don't, can't go to events or don't go to events or, um, maybe the marketing wasn't great. Like you said, maybe it's pouring rain or a snowstorm or it's just a bad day of the week or you, had to, you can go down a long list of reasons. Right. So mm -hmm. I wanted to just frame the conversation as sort of more of like a, a learning thing. So, you know, and knowing that you've been kicking the can around now for a few years. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, yeah, just bring that up with you and see how you handle sort of no or low turnout and um, try and turn it into a positive and, and uh, also understand that the fact that you just, whether anyone showed up or not, the fact that you have a book event means you have a book, which means you're an author, which is pretty cool, right? So <laughs> it definitely is. And I also think another thing that helps put in perspective is like every bookstore librarian I talk to is they're just like the rules are just different now in this like I don't want to quite say post pandemic because I know it's not officially over, but in this like new phase of the pandemic, you know, and they're just like in the past, like if you're averaging thirty, like a debut could average like what 30 40 and now they're like if you get 10 that is like a very good event and i'm just like ah oh. like it all of the standards are so different now so like yeah. a no-show even now does not mean what it meant even just a couple years ago right right yeah totally mm -hmm. um i think you're right yeah things are, are yeah there's people there still just they're you know concerned rightfully so and and uh it's a little hesitant still but yeah we'll see like i said it's uh it's also convention season starting right every spring and we'll see what kind of crowds start turning out for these types of things but um i'm going to be meeting uh actually i'm excited i just found out so rick and mark are coming to toronto <gasps> Yay! Yeah, they just announced their their little tour so they're in toronto is one of the stops which so rarely happens so i'm pretty stoked 
Um, I get to see Mark again, of course, but I've never met Rick. So I'm actually pretty excited to meet Rick too. So, um, I'm so jealous. I know I, well, like I posted something like three, three goals for the event, hug Mark, go record shopping with Mark and meet Rick. Yeah. That's, my, that's my yeah. Cause I don't think they're coming to DC. Cause I checked that and I was just like, I think, in the, no, like, yeah, I think I thought I saw Mark say something about there'll be or Rick, maybe Rick's account saying they're going to add, they'll be adding more, but I think this is just the first, uh, but it's pretty tight schedule. I think bef- like they're, I think they're in San Francisco the day before they're in Toronto. So I don't, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's aggressive, but um, yeah. So um, just to your point, I seriously doubt that event. Well, there'll be a lot. Well, that event will at least have one person there. I'll be going in. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like there's a whole bigger if like a Rick Reardon event. I know. I know. Show up. There's a big, there's a bigger problem going on. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not not concerned about the no show for that event for sure. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. Um, speaking of Rick, of course, Rick, we're talking about Rick Reardon, your boss. Is your, do you call him? <laughs> what do we call him? Um, El Jefe. Uh, yeah, like uh, we just call him Rick because it's a weird. You're, like the thing is, authors are technically employees. Like there's a whole lot of legal jargon going in there, but like, but it's like you're still working together on our project. I think like, I guess it, it's similar to a contractor like position yeah. question mark. But yeah. all that, yeah. We, but Rick, like, I mean, Rick, he is the coolest. Like he's, and I promise Disney's not paying me to say that because he is. The, I would said that even if I was not a Rick Reardon presents author, he is just the coolest. And he really does like he reads all of the books and like he provides notes and like the letters at the front of each one, like he re- writes those himself. And like when I got my, the one at the front of Sir Wall, like I was just like in tears, like Rick, I can write. Ah! So he's just the best. Have you like met him? Met him or just? No, the thing is, so because they acquired my book back at fall 2019, right? Yeah. Um, and so I got the chance to meet my editor, Stephanie Lurie, early 2020, like January 2020. So very early 2020. That was like one of the last things I did before everything shut down. And since then, um, I think there was like an online, I remember like one like video call, but I think that has been it so far, like with, with in like non-email communication. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's neat, kind of funny how that works. I mean, obviously, it'll it'll just a matter of time, but uh, um, well, I mean, it's I I envision sort of some of the bigger, larger events, conventions will be just a a, a you know a Rick Rodin presents panel, you know, and get everybody mm-hmm. get everybody up there. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, I was gonna say, yeah. So now with Rick and you know Disney Hyperion and 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 Star Wars, you're pretty much bought and paid for by Disney now. Um, <laughs> is that how has that been for you doing IP? I mean, well, no, Sir was not IP, but Star Wars certainly mm-hmm. is. But just, but just writing for such a large sort of group, uh, conglomerate, you know, whatever corporation, as opposed to just, as opposed to, you know, just you and, you know, your duology, which is it's, like, yeah. give me a few pros, give me a few cons, and not cons in the sense that like bad Disney. Mm-hmm. Disney supports genocide. I don't like that. I don't mean that. <laughs> oh I, gosh. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I got. I got you. Um, I'm not saying they do. I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mickey Mouse, you're listening. We are not slammed for you. No, but <laughs> it's like it's fascinating because I know from the outside, I definitely get how like it looks like this was kind of intentional, but like yeah. it's just you know how sometimes like you're making decisions based on what makes sense in the moment, and you look back and like, oh, this looks way more calculated than it was. Right. That's kind of how I've ended up with so many Disney projects. 
because the first one, um, so Rachel 2018, right? And then um, end of 2019, uh, how I actually started working with Recruiting Presents was um, I was just back in America from my time in Japan. I was trying to figure out like what I'm working on, what my next project. And then my agent reaches out to me. She's like, hey, I have this editor looking for pitches. Like, would you be interested in pitching or something? And I'm just like, oh yeah, sure. I'll pitch something. Like, who is it? She's like, oh, um, Recruiter Presents. And I'm like, spit take Recruiter Presents. Because like, I have been, I've, I'm like an OG Percy Jackson fan. I've ha had the, my copy of the first book, like doesn't even have New York Times bestseller on it. Cause like, it's so old. It's from before the books have hit the list, which they've now been there like 600 weeks. Like it's right. that old. Like I've been there since the beginning. And, but then my agent's like, do you even write middle grade? I'm like, no, but I'll figure it out. So um, I put together a package in like a month to send to them and they liked it. They're like, can you write more? And I'm like, I'll figure it out now. So I like basically taught myself to write middle grade just for the chance to pitch them. And that it very luckily worked out because I, looking back, I'm like, that could backfire very easily. <laughs> so that's how I worked, ended up working with that, um, with Recruiter Presents, which at that time I was like, as a Percy Jackson fan, I was definitely more drawn in by his name than the Disney aspect. So that was that first project. And then we fast forward to kind of spring of 2020, where another editor reaches out to my um, agent and she's like, hey, Marvel's starting like a new young reader line and we're looking for pitches again. Would Rosie want to pitch? And I'm like, um, flat. And I was like, okay, what characters do they want? They're like, we're looking for Miles Morales. We're looking for um, Miss Marvel. We're looking for Black Panther. I'm like, Black Panther! And so here again, like a chance to like kind of reach out um, to write for like Black Panther, one of the most iconic like African superheroes. I'm like, well, I'm definitely gonna like take that chance. So again, I put together a pitch package. I had never written comics again, so I kind of taught myself to write comic style, and they like that. So we move forward. And then Star Wars. This one actually, they reached out directly to me, not even my agent, because I am very loud on Twitter, as some of y'all might know. I have lots of opinions, but many of them about Star Wars. And honestly, looking back, I'm surprised Lucasfilm was not like, okay, we need to blacklist her. We don't want to deal with this. But the editor of the anthology I wrote actually DM'd me. She's like, hey, I know you're a big Star Wars person because you never shut up about it. She didn't say that, but it was between the lines. Um, and we're doing this anthology. Would you be interested in potentially like writing for Star Wars? And if so, who do I contact? I was like, Star Wars? Okay. Um... And so we went forward and we did that. And so it was very much like a, there was no secret game plan. Like, oh, let me just claw my way into the Disney files. Like it was very much just kind of like opportunities kept presenting themselves. And I just kind of, number one, kept being drawn to them. And then number two, like being the writer they're looking for. Because like other, I've been like approached for other things and I've either not been interested or like when I show interest, they're like, oh, like this actually is not what we're going for. Best of luck. So like it's, just so happens that like what I like to write and what Disney's looking for from writers seems to inter intersect very well. Yeah, it's you know I know the uh, I know Tom Holler a little bit from Penguin and and we've I've had him on the show. We've talked about you know they do the from from a certain point of view anthologies for Star Wars, uh -huh. and I know how he does. I mean he just collects names like he, mm -hmm. he they all and he takes recommendations from other authors and no they're very aware of which authors out there who like Star Wars and yeah for sure so. <laughs> um it's uh to any other authors out there like if star wars is your dream and you're a published author put it in your star wars bio or your author bio like rosie did <laughs> put it oh, yeah. make it make it known manifest it make it happen because i know for a fact that they that's they found authors that way so um mm -hmm. if that's sort of a dream dream gig for you go for it
Um, I have to, I, I'm not going to say I have to think, I hope the answer is no, only because mm -hmm. I'm a socialist and pro labor and I, I believe mm -hmm. people, believe people should get paid for their work but would you do something like black panther for free if they'd come you know when they offered that to you was it that okay, big, uh, that important no no okay. no it's not that important i would I, I did not do it for free yeah but, um no yeah i would not because like as much as i love those characters i love that world i also believe people deserve to be paid for their labor yes. deserve to pay for their yep. time and especially like disney like of all the houses out there like they they have the resources like disney like the disney publishing arm is one small arm of like the whole disney behemoth yeah and while again i have loved everyone i have worked with um they're all just as passionate as another house there's still this understanding that like oh we have access to resources that like scholastic might not you know yeah. and so it's even more egregious if like going off the oh you all love our characters so do this for free it's like no sorry disney no yeah no, I'm like I said. I, I'm I'm glad to hear you said no. I'm such I'm so so pro labor, but uh, um, and, and listen, I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at anybody if they did it for free if that if that was a foot in the door, I guess. But um, I mean, especially in art, uh, where it's not always a uh, you know a paid gig. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I highly encourage uh, people to definitely seek compensation for their work. Um, and. There's been a thing lately too, and then you know it's it's uh, since it's all about me. I feel like a lot of my <laughs> I feel like a lot of my favorite YA authors, you included, are going middle grade. You know, say Bethany, um, who's mm -hmm. going the opposite direction. She's going adult. <laughs> so, um, what's the allure of middle grade for you? I, I think it's. I think mm -hmm. like I see the obvious. You know, I see the obvious things, um, mm -hmm. and I think it's probably for all the reasons that I like reading middle grade. So maybe try and give me something that doesn't come up often that you maybe you don't hear answered a lot. Ooh, okay. The reason a lot of why it goes to middle grade. I mean, I mean, there's two half. I mean, do you want kind of like the artistic half of it, or like kind of the business of being an author half of it? No, I'm. Yeah, no. I mean, the business side is important, and we understand um, as things, trends move, come and go. You're, you're. There's a, there's a this natural thing to push you in that direction because certain things are selling better at the time or um mm -hmm. certain things demand demand better space on the higher the high the top shelf or instead of the bottom mm -hmm. or, you know the bottom kicker shelf right in the, in the bookstore uh, okay yeah no that stuff i get for sure but i'm thinking okay. more. let's let's go creatively artistically creatively okay so i think an interesting part and there's been some discussion about this but like one thing i've really experienced like in the last couple of years in those great spaces so you know the talk about how like why it has been trending older for a couple of years now, right? And like how like yeah. a lot of like current upper YA, like race included, is like very much like meant for like 17, 18, but that's kind of leaving out like 14, 15, you know, the younger side of YA, right? Right. I one thing I've noticed, I know it's not true of anyone, but one thing I've noticed is as YA is trending up, we've been seeing sort of middle grade trending up a little bit as well. Yep. Like when I think of like the middle grade of like my youth and like some of the like Judy Bloom and all those things, like it just reads a lot, or like because of Winn Dixie, or like it reads a lot younger than modern day middle grade. And one thing I'm noticing is that a lot of what's getting published in middle grade would have been considered YA, like back when I was a kid, you know? And so I think, right, I mean, this I, is just a theory. Oh, but, but I don't um, want to see, yeah, but I don't want to see it as, as derived as that though, right? Like, because you still have to write it, you still have to sit down. Of course, of course. But, but, but 
Yes. Yeah, but the point I'm trying to make here that is like a, why a lot of why authors are just finding themselves drawn to like the current status of middle grade on a creative side is then that it's sort of feeling a lot of like what we remember YA being and so it comes very naturally yeah. to us. Yeah. And so that's that space again. Not, again, I'm not saying there's not a difference, but as it's trending upwards, you're then finding like, oh, wait, this this reminds me of like what I, I remember. Like, this is what is what's coming naturally. This is what like my heart, uh, that's why I came into YA. Like for a lot of people who are talking about how they came into because they wanted to write younger YA because that's the space they see in the envisioning. That is the like, the kind of stories they're drawn to. There's more space for that in middle grade now than in YA. Mm. And so it's a lot easier if you have a story that's like, based like around that sort of like you're looking like the Gallagher girls that like for a 14 year old like space that space to be creative in that way exists more in middle grade than why these days mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like makes... yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense I love reading middle grade I I actually uh I think it's an honor to read middle grade mm -hmm. be only because I love reading about characters learning these important life lessons for the first time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's so I like to me it's an honor when I read a good middle grade story and I'm really in love with the characters and they're learning these <clears throat> like I said these important life lessons that will carry carry them through their teen years and early and new adult and adult for the first time and they're on the dawn of these crazy you know all these crazy things that are happening and I that's why I like reading and I love seeing mm -hmm. these, these folks experience things for the first time and, you know, like one of the things we've talked about before with middle grade is there's certain rules where it's like the parents have to be useless or the adults have to be useless. <laughs> the, you know, the adults have to be useless or or just, um, you know, just missing an action. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of one of the sta staples of middle grade. It's up to the kids, right? If the kids if the kids can't do it, then it's not going to happen. So, I mean, that's very much a theme in, in Sirwa, obviously. Um, yeah, I struggled with that, actually. Like, it actually took me a while to figure out a way to get her parents out of the action in a way that was believable. Right. Um, yeah, because with Sirwa, like, I said, like, she's one of the things with Sirwa from the beginning, we're like, we're kind of inverting the fish out of water story. Like, the, like you know, Percy discovers he's a demigod. Like, the standard, like, normal kid goes to magic world, right? And so, like, we're inverting that. We're like, okay, magic kid goes to normal world. But I knew from the start, I'm like, well, she's like not a demigod. She's not descended from any like powerful magic. Like her family's in this organization, but like they are just other members of it. And like her parents are present. Like she, she's had both parents in her life. They've been there. They've supported her. They're not perfect, but they're there. And so when it came time, like how do I get them out in a way that doesn't undermine the fact that they have this strong family structure? And that just proved a huge struggle. And I'm like, I, I feel like I found a way to do it, but I still, part of me is like, I wish there was a way I could have them around and still have the story the way it needs to unfold. But like, for all the reasons you said, like the moment like those parents are present, it's just like uh, the space that happens for the kids to solve this problem, to have those life lessons goes away. Like the moment anyone else can do this, it's just like, but why, then why are they doing this? Yeah, you're right. And that's a natural reaction, right? You're gonna be like, why, why are these parents and adults just standing around? Um, I also really like the sort of like powerful fish out of water trope, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, you know, sir was obviously, you know, very intelligent, well-equipped to, to, you know, battle certain things and fight certain things and all and stuff like that. But none of these skills are applicable at all in middle grade. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I love, you know, that's always fun. That's always great. It's, it's, it's obviously a natural way to create, uh, tension and drama 
but it's also a very natural way to create uh, humor, which, you know, you are just naturally gifted at because you're a funny person just yourself. Um, that always, and that always seems to bleed over in your books. Um, was that, there, I feel like there's this thing with, with YA where it's allowed to be funny, but because they're just about to be adult, it's like, we have to kind of take some of it seriously. Was that, was there a sense, a conscious sense from you where you're like, I get to unleash my funniness because it's, middle, <laughs> because it's middle grade now. Well, first off, Steve, let me just say thank you, because I feel like you're one of the few reviewers who always comments how funny, like, the rape series is, because I think it's a very funny series for all the oh, series. It's like, oh, it's laugh out loud happened. funny. It's laugh out loud thank funny. You. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm like, wow, finally, all these jokes, they were worth it. So thank you. But no, yeah, definitely with Sir Watt, Um, I think it's even kind of less the, like, age shift that I think makes it just the humor so much more prevalent as much as the genre shift, I think. Because I think, for example, like, rape being just the second world high fantasy, written a very sort of elevated folklore tone. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's there's a certain kind of humor I can do there, but just kind of like the more slapstick, the more like joke a second style. It just does not work with that, with the style and the atmosphere I wanted to invoke, right? But I feel like if I did like a contemporary YA that had that the kind of tones or what have, I think it would be the same thing again. Cause like you said, I just, I don't know how to not crack a joke. Um, I mean, Lord of the Rings, so. Lord of the Rings has jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, right? And not even like plot derivative. Like, there's a dwarf tossing joke. I mean, like, there's, there's like, you know what I mean? Like, there's people that's not like anything new, but it just feels like something that I don't know. People, it's just people, it takes people for some reason, not me, but it takes people out of the story sometimes. I've never understood why. Yeah. I think it's because people, at least when they're coming to second world fantasy, yeah. they want that feeling almost of that sort of like the mythic, the grandiose, like the like elevated, you know? like the once upon a time, like the like the power of that. And sometimes for some people, the humor feels like the antithesis of that. Like, especially because humor by nature is very grounding. It can often be very base. Like uh, humor can uh, like appeal to our very sort of base instincts. And it's like, again, when one is done very well, it's done very like, you can still definitely have both. I definitely think possible to have both, but when it's not done well, it's just like a, oh, I've now been taken out of the headspace of like, this big, epic, grandiose, bigger than me adventure. I'm brought back into my world, which is the world I was trying to leave. I feel like that's kind of like a really shitty, like Western chauvinistic attitude, isn't it? Where like, yeah, like where comedy is like this is this human construct only, a white human construct. And if it's if if it's in my fantasy or like you, second world fantasy or high fantasy or any type of, you know, for you know, for someone to have that affect them, as in like you said, it it, it is it's grounded. So if that takes you out of it, then that to me says more about you than the what you're reading or watching and th- you know this idea where comedy is only allowed in certain spaces it's like mm-hmm. you're like oh boy here we go um agree. especially because like i think people have this idea of the old world that's like serious serious place yeah but, like you know ancient times not ancient times but many are based on that time period the old world was so funny like there was a whole i think like a tumblr based on just like um, illuminated manuscripts where like the monks were like drawing like butts and things in the like margins and just like for all the do like even ancient monks like carrying these like gorgeous like illuminated manuscripts that are thousands of years old were drawing butts in the margin like a four year old like those people are funny it's, I yell for sure right and it's uh yeah that's it's it's just it doesn't 
it always amazes me how people react to it differently or like if they're reading um again fantasy or you know like anything really that doesn't isn't contemporary or isn't taking place in somewhere instantly recognizable and then for anyone anybody white in north america that means any anything outside of north america sadly mm-hmm. um if they like use if they if they if you say the word fuck or something like that right you're like well they wouldn't say that well how do you know like how, how do you know they wouldn't say that right like what do you, you don't this this ownership of language to me is insane i hate it um mm-hmm. um let's um the, the spoiler alert here, folks. Sir has been out for a while, so we're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about the ending here because I want to talk about the ending. Um, I don't I don't remember where I read this. It was a while ago, and I don't remember if it was in a book or just somebody talking about books. It was definitely an auth. It was definitely like author uh, adjacent. Um, they said the difference between having no friends and one friend is like the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. It's that's so powerful to me, and that comes up time and time again, as you know, in YA and middle grade, right? Like um Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a powerful thing this found family thing finding your tribe finding your clique finding your your fast and furious team is is such a powerful thing right um Mm -hmm. so sirwa does that in this book and it takes a bit of time because she's been homeschooled and isolated and living in this bubble with her parents who you know training her to take over the family business of vampire hunting and um and so now she's thrust into into you know school middle grade school which is um its own sort of insanity you know uh but it's 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 a highly anxiety ridden intense social situation because these kids are starting to come into their own for the first time in their lives right they're being left they're being left alone for the first time in their lives they're starting to be treated like not kids maybe not adults but not kids anymore either right there's being more asked of them for the first time in their lives and they're growing and they're still growing so their fucking bodies hurt right like and especially mm-hmm. especially for girls like things are changing for them much more than boys and it's to the point where it's not just confusing it's painful there's all this shit going on right it's it's mm-hmm. and, and on top of all that you're going to deal with school and the pressures of all that come with that stuff but so sirwa gets to school she does a great job she's doing amazing she finally <laughs> she finally has she finally has this this group this tribe right and of course mm-hmm. there's ups and downs and all this fun stuff that happens and then and this is a sort of a thing that happens throughout the book where she has to con- she has to remind herself once in a while that and she has the ability to erase memories she's going to have to erase their memories of all of this because mm-hmm. that's just one of the mandates of the life and of the family business right mm-hmm. So in the end of the book, she she does that. She has to erase mm-hmm. their she erases their memories of of and the problem with that is it's not it's not and you can't be selective about it. It's like even knowing her is gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here she is finally finding this her her tribe for the very first time, and it's you know yeah there was some some bumps in the road, but they come together at the end in the most incredible way and do what they got to do and. It's so important and so emotional and so wonderful the interpersonal relationships within the group and you know there's even a bit of flirting going on with her and uh, another another person in the group and uh who is my favorite in the group by the way and uh <laughs> uh but then she she does it she has she makes the decision and erases their memories talk about that mm-hmm. ending the book that way coming to that decision to do that that's an incredibly difficult decision for her to make like in universe canon <laughs> 
and mm -hmm. and then talk about you deciding to do that to have her do that oh gosh i'm like whew. i'm just trying because there's so much I, first off you know that feel, like the feeling when you something you're trying to do lands because like when you're writing it you never know is this going to land is this coming across the way i wanted to and so like just hearing you talk about it's like okay what i was going for with their and that choice landed so that just is very affirming to me as an author so thank you mm. and i think it comes back to like it comes back to several kind of there's several kind of reasons why i did it and how i did the reasons i did it the way i did it and i think part of it comes back to sort of what i'm drawn through as a drawn to as both an author and a reader right mm -hmm. and that is i'm someone who's always like my favorite characters is always the ones who are willing to go where no one else is willing to go yeah. and not even just in villains but in heroes right like what uh, growing up as a child one of my least favorite tropes was always the no you can't kill him or else you'll be just like him right and like i get it i get the lesson there i get the idea revenge vengeance is bad eye for an eye turns the whole world blind i get it but as a kid i was like oh no he killed your mom kill him what do you mean we'll be just like him what and maybe that's just something bad about me however but just this idea the idea that like to be a hero like where the boundary is that like a true hero needs to know like where to stop right and i'm like okay but what about the heroes who don't what about the heroes who go too far can you go too far and still be a uh, good person how far can you go and still come back like what is a where is the line between irredeemable monster like you know and that was something in rates like that was very important to me with rates because like spoiler for rates if you haven't read it like it's on the jacket that like they're like oh they're trying to kill each other right and do you know the number of messages i get like I didn't think one of them would actually do it. Like, I didn't think Malik was actually going to do it. I'm like, why? Literally, why? I, I straight up told, like, I think there's a lot of twists in race. I actually don't think that's one of them. So I'm always shocked when people are like, I didn't think he'd actually do it. I was like, his sister's life was on the line. Like, yeah, he struggled with it because he's not a complete monster. But at the end of the day, he decided that, like, he, he could do this. Like, this is a book about somebody who is given the option to kill someone to save his family, and he does it. Like... And of course, again, book two, he suffers with that choice and knowing he's capable of this, but he does it. And so with Sir Wall, obviously, it's the, stakes, the stakes are way, way different being a middle grade. She's not out here strangling anyone. But like, again, I knew I wanted to explore this girl who she's been raised to be a hero, right? She's hmm. raised to my vampire. She's been raised in this very sort of black versus white, good versus evil kind of mentality. And she's been told that like, no, if it's for the sake of fighting evil, the ends justify the means. You know, like just that warrior mindset, like anything is justified for the greater good. Mm -hmm. And so even as a child, like uh, she understands that. And so at the end, where she gets to this point where she's like, I, again, spoiler, Steve already said this, spoilers are realistic. I am the threat. I am the danger. I can't be here. And you have someone who has been raised, like a threat needs to be eradicated. A danger needs to be wiped out. And of course, you then have to question who decides who is dangerous. She's like, her thinking is not like, okay, let me let me sit down and think about this. Let me like go over. She's like, nope, I need to get them. I I need to I need to check them. I need to. And so she mind wipes them. And book two definitely again deals with the consequences of that choice because that's also a very boundary crossing kind of choice. Like, who do you to decide that you can go with someone else's head and erase something that this is not something that they get to have power over, control over? like especially in the current conversation we're having like who gets to like book fans like who gets access to what ideas who gets to spread their ideas like just this idea like i want to keep thinking like sure it's understandable but then like, she still did it and i think to me those are the kind of characters i'm always drawn to like the people who are willing to go 
where no one else is willing to go and what that does to them. Just because, I don't know, I found myself very bored by like, the, no, I can't do it. It's not right. And I'm like, yeah, it's not right, but you're here. So why not? <laughs> it sounds very bad. No, for sure. But it's also like, it's also true to her. It's true to the story. It's true to everything you're trying to do. Like if you didn't do that, if, okay. If you have her think about it, the whole book and not do it, I would have been probably like, eh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so in a sense, it's not only it's it's weird because it's it's a brave choice, but it's also a practical one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think with readers, I'm starting to get this reputation of like the thing is, you know how like if you have too many twist endings, people start looking for the twist, like M Night Shyamalan, right? And like and so like. They said, like, the first time I did with Race, like, sort of that, like, whole factory reset of the, at the end of the book. And then book two completely starts off. All the pieces are different. And, again, that kind of happens again at the end of the uh, And so now I feel like readers are going to start to expect it. So I think next time I just have to play everything straight. So the big surprise is that there is no big surprise. I'm like, that's what y'all get. Think you know what's coming. The, right. The twist is there's no twist. <laughs> <laughs> it's genius. <laughs> <I'm honest. laughs> And that's uh, why I didn't know they're going to see that. So I have to add a twist back. It just keeps going. <laughs> um, I, I mean, okay, yeah. So I, I love it. Yeah, I loved it. Like I said, just the, the both sides of my brain were like, yeah, that's that's the right that's the right call there, right? Not only creatively, but just from like I said, from a from a practical, you know, in universe standpoint, like it does make the most sense. Um, and also, we'll just create a you know wonderful moments down the road, right? Where you know, I, I obviously I'm not asking you to tell me what happens, but it's like it's going to come back around, right? That decision, yeah. obviously. Yeah. How could it not? There's got to be there's got to be consequences to that decision, right? Ramifications on her personally, on the friendships, on all this stuff. So it's going to circle back around, probably result in some wonderful encounters, you know, between them. And and uh, it, it it'll be interesting to see how you do it with 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 her friends there because. Because there's enough of them to where you're probably going to get a different reaction from different people, right? So some will, I'm sure there's going to be some anger, some hurt, <laughs> some, you know, some understanding, but all those wonderful things I'm sure will come into play uh, in book yeah. two, which is called Sir Robotang's Guide to Witchcraft and Mayhem. Um, that is out in the fall, I believe, I think, mm-hmm. September. Is that still still on track for them? Yeah, that's still September. And I think, yeah, I think it's totally fair to say the friends will come back because they're literally on the cover of book two. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so I think it's fair, but yeah, like you said, it's like the how much do they know? Do they know anything? And like these are all four very different people, four very different backgrounds, and so how much they're gonna and they get you can I think it's fair to get sucked back into magic again with a giant Twitter crocodile on book two. So <laughs> they're sucked back in like, but is it against their will? Are they doing this willingly? Do they know what? Do they know why they're writing a giant Twitter crocodile? Like, there's a lot going on there. It's a it's it does, and it opens up for. I mean, just again, it sort of accentuates your skills because it opens up a lot of dra- opportunities for drama, but also a lot, of, a lot of sort of more lighthearted, you know, cathartic opportunities, right? A lot, a lot of moments for levity and stuff like that too, right? So, and it is middle grade, so I mean, we can't get too, we don't want to get too sour here, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, save that for the uh, adults in the room, but um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you got, you got to keep it light ultimately, but it's okay to, to you know, point out and tackle uh, gloss make serious issues glossy you know which is what i like about middle grade too right always and mark's really great at this too in his middle grade stuff like um uh driving home a serious 
point without you realizing with a smile on your face right it's kind mm -hmm. of funny you you know you, you're similar too right where like i'm smiling but crying at the same time uh, exactly exactly yeah. I, I think too that age like i don't know about you but i feel like that age was what i was feeling my first like serious moral quandaries like i know that's yes. it's yeah. easy to look back and be like oh it's nothing mad but i remember like the first time my friend was like told me a serious secret when we were in middle school and then he was like please don't tell my parents and that moment like oh my god do i respect the sanctity of this relationship you trust me to tell me this or like do i report it and then lose like this friendship and all that and like that is that's like a big moral thing to be dealing with there are adults put in that situation who don't know how to handle that mm. and so i think with middle grade like when people are like oh no this is too heavy this is too complex i'm like i feel like you might not be remembering the complexities of being 11. right and most people don't i mean i don't anymore i, I honestly don't have much memory of, of that time in my life but uh um you're right. Yeah, most people do forget, and we take it for granted. I think uh, you know those those hard first truths, those first lessons in life that we learned, and, and we just you know we, it almost feels like they're inherent, but they're not. We we learn them, right? <laughs> the hard way, most times, the hard way. Uh, oh, definitely. Right. So, but that's uh, you know I, I like those are you know if, if I met someone who was like eh, I haven't really learned any lessons the hard way, I'd be like get out. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm like, if you learn them the easy way, that was someone else's hard way. You're a robot. So like, so yeah. uh, you're a yeah, robot. Someone else learned them. Yeah, or you've lived the most privileged life anyone can live. It's. I'm. I'm also not even interested in talking to a person like that. That's not an interesting person to me, right? Like, like I like people with scars. I like bars with dirt on the floor. I like. Uh, uh, you know, these are interesting things to me. But um. Uh, so the covers out. The blurb, the summary for book two is online. I won't read it. Anyone can find it. Um, what's, uh, give me, let's leave on, um, let, well, let me ask one quick question, then I'll, we'll leave on something else. Did you have, did you have the whole entire thing mapped out or did you, how did you uh, do this? Like, did you, when you started Surwa, did you have the ending figured out? Um. Okay, so I'm, you know how some people are like, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Yeah. You know how some people are like plotters and some people are panthers? Yeah. I like to call myself like a road tripper in okay. the sense that like Maggie Stiefvater, she once said that like, um, for like when you're road tripping, like when you're doing a road trip, right? Yeah. Um, all you have are the headlights on your car, but I can get you as far as you need to go. Sure. Like that's how it is. Like I tend to know where a book is going. Yeah. And I tend to know the scene I'm on and maybe a scene or two ahead of that. And then... I'm like, as long as I get from A to Z, it doesn't really matter what order the rest of the letters are in between that. You know, it doesn't matter if we hit M before we hit like D. Right. Um, yeah. All that to say, I knew that kind of arc I wanted to take Sir Walt on. I knew that her core character was always her, someone who goes from this very black and white thinking that through her experiences with others and the choices she has to make, um, she starts to have this more complex, nuanced empathetic view of the world and that once she has like it's only once she gets this better more complicated view of the world she actually becomes this hero that she's trying so hard to be at the beginning right however how i was gonna do that i had no idea um and so the first the we did a lot edits on this book but actually the first chunk of the book like the sequence from her the fair uh, the attack in the first chapter mm -hmm. to her um teacher when he is bit by the vampire and he passes out, that's actually, that's the first, that's the section that we sent to Rick Reardon Presents when they asked to see a section of the book. Okay. I did that in a month. 
um, which for me, that's very, I know some authors, six chapters a month is nothing. For me, that's very fast. Yeah. And that sequence has always sort of stayed the same. Like, okay. I've actually done no major edits to that. I'm like, like, which is very rare for me, because again, I, I, that book I overall destroyed, like, restitched every single word, but so while the beginning has been the very same from, from 2019. Right. And so I knew that was my, since I knew this, because I knew it was a strong foundation, I knew I set up everything very well, and I knew that, like, everything that, like, everything that needed to happen was very broadcast, very obviously, um, I think, in those first six chapters. And so whatever I was getting, like, okay, what comes next? I'll go back to that. I was like, what door did I open in this foundation that I have not either gone through yet or I have not closed yet or what? And so through that, I'm able to kind of just keep moving forward knowing that like as long as it's getting me towards that angle i'm gonna figure out how i'm gonna get there okay was it last question did you when it came time to start writing the book two the sequel did you know where you were gonna pick up yeah actually this is so this book two is way easier than psalm psalm i'm still really proud of that book i love that book but it, that book was oof, ooh, that book tried to kill me um <laughs> And however, I think because it was my first time writing a sequel ever, uh, it was only my second book ever. Race is my first book I've ever written, like not just published ever. But so coming to um, Witchcraft and Mayhem, Farewell 2, this time I think I, I learned all the mistakes I've made in Psalm. I'm like, I'm not doing them a second time. And so I have a better understanding now of like picking the story up based on what was promised at the end. Um, because I think that was a mistake I tried to make the first disastrous, disastrous attempts at Psalm were like, I was trying to make this book two that didn't actually have anything to do with book one, even though I thought it did, but not in any thematic, like, that underscore way that, like, connects books together. Like, mm -hmm. so on the surface, it's Malik and Karina, but it's just like, but how is this thematically, emotionally, like, actually tied to book one? I was like, uh. And so I was like, okay, coming into this book two, I'm like, this is thematically where we are with book two. And once you have that, I found the actual what happens does not really matter because if that thread is truly there and you're deriving it from that thread from book one, it's going to be connected. It's going to feel connected. Yeah. So because I saw him, I had to learn four drafts in, hey, sequels should connect to book one. What? Who knew? Oh, it made it so much easier this time. Since when? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who could have guessed? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, uh, Cyril Batang's Guide to Witchcraft and Mayhem comes out in September. Um, obviously, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I can't, yeah, it, you just, it, it's, it's there. Everything is there. It's such a wonderful feeling when you get into a series and, and you're very satisfied and happy with, with all the groundwork that's been laid. That helps going forward, obviously, um, because I just will say there are many series that I've abandoned just because I didn't, you know, uh, just didn't feel it and just didn't feel like carrying on with it. It's, it's, it's hurtful to say, but um, uh, not in this case. I, yeah, I truly can't wait to, to see what happens here because I had such a great time reading the first one. So um, uh, I don't know, Rosie, thanks so much for coming on. Enjoy. It's going to be uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you really got nothing, nothing really to push until the fall. So yeah, um, uh, honestly it's for the best i i oh, could use the break last year was in, in a good way yeah it's uh you've so, been so busy i'm sure it feels great to um to have a little i mean you, there's never downtime you're i know you're always sort of you know thinking you're always two three years ahead of, of us so 
Um, but uh, yeah, enjoy this sort of, I guess, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it downtime, but uh, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the fall out and about and doing uh, tours and all that types of stuff. And congratulations on the, just the whole Rick Riordan thing. I mean, that's such, uh, like I've said, um, it's, he's just recruiting just the best people. Um, I'm so happy with, with, he's obviously got great taste, him and his team. Cause um, I just think it's, I love every single author so far and, and, you know, getting Kwame involved too on the Hyperion side. And, um, it's just, uh, it's just, it's amazing to sit back and watch and, and what that for me as a reader and a fan, I just know that that guarantees now, um, a certain, just, just a certain amount of work that that's good. We're guaranteed a certain amount of work now. Right. And quality mm -hmm. and, and just, and, and quantity too. Right. You know, I don't have to worry now about, uh, some, some folks I know, you know, under that banner, I know they've got stuff coming out. Daniel's stuff is great too. I can't, he's got another one coming out this year, which I can't wait for. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just congratulations on landing that gig. It's so, so well-deserved and, and so cool. And I'm very happy for you and everyone else. Seriously. Thank you, Steve. And thank you for the work you do, like promoting and like, shining a light on authors and like getting our work out there because that too that that is incredible and it's like without like people like you it just feels like there's so many outlets i used to cover books have been like had to shut her down and so like just seeing people still go out there and like really push it just means a lot yeah well it, it's like i said it's such a i just it's such a pleasure to do it i mean I, i'm reading these books i'd be reading these books either way so i might as well might as well talk about them um but yeah, no, yeah, of course, that's it's my pleasure to do so. But um, so anyways, enjoy uh, the rest of your week and the rest of your day. And uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll, we'll reconnect in the fall.